sequel of the Year End Awards. That's right, this is the ninth annual End of the Year Awards program, and this time on the back half, the back nine, the second part, the sequel to our End of the Year Awards, we're going to be having a more comic-centric focus. But before we get to that, let's introduce ourselves. Phil, how are we doing this evening? You know, existing, fighting the good fight, doing all the good stuff, having a blast. <laughs> when you started off, you know, I was like, oh, we got nihilistic, Phil. Good. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Giggling at my nihilistic go- uh, joke is going to be Gary. Oh, Gary in the background. Gary, how are we doing this evening? Oh, Gary. I am splendid. Um, doing well, Matt. Doing well. How are you, by the way? I'm doing well. I'm hosting a show with five or four. I guess I can't count, so I got to be proved that in the rundown. Um, that uh, four wonderful individuals, one of whom hates Mark Hamill. Mark, how are you doing this evening? <laughs> Uh, well, when the end comes, I know they'll say just a gigolo and life goes on without me. But uh, <laughs> nice. nice. Doing pretty well. I persist. Fantastic. And bringing up the rear, Darren. Daniel LaRusso's going to fight? <laughs> that's, that's, that's all we get this time, Darren. Oh, man, we're all broken. This is good. Oh. Fantastic. Well, as the man who dressed like Daniel LaRusso for Halloween two years in a row, I'm going to go ahead and get it started off here, guys. Uh, We're going to, like I said before, we're going to take a look at some of the best heroes, some of the best villains, some of our supporting characters, our favorite story arcs, favorite artists, favorite writers, single issues, all leading up to the most important thing, gentlemen. And that's going to be our pick of the year. All right. So let's go ahead and get started on to the first category. Let's go with favorite lead heroes. Feel. Apparently there was something funny? Yeah, Darren I'm broken. sorry. I, uh, I'm thousand percent. Still, I'm still processing nihilistic Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, when you're done wondering uh, if we have a purpose in this world, who is your favorite lead hero from 2021? Well, interesting enough, someone else who's trying to figure out if there's a purpose in the world, and that is Daredevil. Two years in a row, Daredevil has taken my uh, favorite lead hero slots. Uh, man, it's just, he, it's such a good interpretation of him right now. If you've ever cared about Daredevil at all, this is the time to jump back in. He's, it's so good. And, and there's a miniseries that started this week, actually, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, Devil's Reign, which looks awesome, which is Daredevil-centric. So Daredevil, lead hero. Excellent. I'm going to go ahead and steal uh, Darren's thunder a little bit here, and I'm going to go with my favorite lead hero, and and admittedly to the audience, and I don't think this comes as any surprise, of all of us, uh, I'm I'm probably the one who reads the fewest comic books out of the group. I think our comic book experts are going to be Darren, Gary, and Phil, but Darren did get me involved in one particular comic, and that is Once in Future, and specifically Bridget McGuire is going to be my lead hero for the year. Bridget McGuire, the kick-ass grandma from uh, Once in Future is going to be my lead hero for the year, and that's Once in Future from Boom Studios. Darren. (laughs) My lead hero is Jeff, uh, wait a minute, hold on, John Goodman from The Big Lebowski when he yells at the Nihilists. Uh, (laughs) Life does not start and stop around you, you miserable piece of... No, uh, my favorite lead hero, mine last year, by the way, Matt, was uh, Bridget McGuire, was my favorite last year. This year, as you gave me credit, I must give credit to Gary, 
because my favorite lead hero is Kanto. Um, there may not be a more likable character in all of comics. I find myself openly rooting for him. Gary. I almost had that one too. That's excellent. Gary, that was a really nice job that you did for all of us there by getting us into that. So why don't you go ahead and tell us who your favorite lead hero is? That was one of the better mistakes I've made in my life. That that was completely, that was an accidental discovery that I do not regret. So good. However, my favorite lead hero for 2021 is Ernie Ray Clementine. Oh, really? The scumbag. Yes. Uh, Dane Whitman almost took this, but I think I would consider him more of my favorite character, more than just lead hero. So the honor goes to Ernie Ray Clementine from Image Comics' The Scumbag. Uh, Ernie is the hero that nobody wants. No? Did did you not argue earlier this month with Mark about Loki being... I, I know. He was being a putz. <laughs> a villain versus a hero. Ernie yeah. is way worse. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, accidentally injected with a super serum. Uh, Ernie's power only manifests themselves when he is acting nobly. Uh, unfortunately, his idea of nobility doesn't match up with everyone else's in the story. The, fate, the world's fate rests with the worst person on it. Ernie Ray Clementine. The scumbag. Good stuff. Now, Mark, why don't you lend a little bit of insight into there? Is there anything in particular that you wanted to bring up regarding our lead heroes? Uh, well, you know, maybe not particular for lead hero, but I should say why I'm hanging out at the end of this. I don't think we set that up. Um, so basically, I haven't read a modern comic book in a little bit. And uh, I had a bad experience publishing my own comic. And it kind of left a sour taste after a while. I'll go into that another time. But um, it's been hard for me to get back in. So right now I've been picking up legacy books. I was reading East of West and revisiting the old Marvel G1 Transformers. But I haven't really read anything modern. So I'm just kind of hanging out here listening to you guys and seeing if anybody's enticing me to really pick one of these books up. And I do have a question. Phil, you said Daredevil is your favorite hero. If I wanted to jump in someplace in recent memory, what would be a good starting point for me? You could jump in right, 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 right when Chip Zdarsky takes over. Um, like I said, last year, Daredevil, and the title itself was my, my pick last year. And it just has not lost steam. He's done so It's so, so good. Um, too bad you live halfway across the country, or I could literally hand you the whole run. Um, it, it, it's, it's fantastic. If you do like Daredevil or ever did, it's... Chip Zdarsky, even the Mark Bagley stuff right beforehand is good, but uh... okay. And uh, it seems everybody here is a big fan now of Once in Future, which I had not heard of, so I'm gonna have to take a look at that. Um, obviously, borrowing the title from T. H. White's Arthurian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And that'll you'll notice uh, why they chose that one very very quickly. Okay. Uh, really really excellent read. And and when I asked Darren, I said because I asked a very similar question kind of towards the beginning of the year. It was like. It's been a minute since I waded into the uh, the comic book waters. What do I need to do first? And Darren, like, I mean, without missing a beat, said once in future. And I haven't looked back. So it's been really a nice a nice little run there. So good well, stuff. I literally just finished reading T.H. White's The Once in Future King. So good timing. I could just pick up something else with a similar title. Well, no one could uh, confused. Just, just sit back <laughs> and relax because I'm just going to make a prediction. You might hear a little bit more about that title tonight. Fair enough. All right. All right, well, 
Sorry, we talk ahead. about the heroes, let's go ahead and talk about the bad guys that they fight. Gentlemen, who's our favorite lead villain of 2021? Well, I will kick it off with the goddess symbiotes, Null from Venom. We were building Ooh, up to it for all of 2020, and it came on strong with the King in Black during 2021, where the whole world is engulfed with all the symbiotes all controlled by Null, ultimately defeated by Eddie Brock, who becomes the central figure of the symbiotes. And it's a whole new run now, but that doesn't matter. Null was fantastic, preferable fear, got into people's minds, controlled all of the Avengers with symbiotes. There was a lot of very, very cool stuff that played out with this character. And uh, it was a really good payoff from Donny Kate's run and it, it ended pretty much exactly how you would hope it would. It's one of those rare moments that a Marvel event had the correct payoff, and I think a lot of that had to do with how strong of a villain was behind it all. So mine is definitely Null. Mine is a man of few words. Mine is Maniac Harry from Maniac of New York, which is Aftershock Comics. Maniac Harry is a menace to society and something that shocked everyone at the beginning and that just kind of became part of life as the issues went along. So arguably, and, and that's what's the scariest part about it, is he says nothing. He'll just come onto a subway train and murder everybody in that car and then move on as if nothing happened. And it is arguably one of the freakiest, weirdest things that you really enjoy reading and watching. And that's Maniac of New York from Aftershock Comics. And it's written by one of my favorite people on podcast. And that's Elliot Kalin. So that's going to be my favorite lead villain for the year is Maniac Harry. Darren. You know, I was arguing with someone that uh, basically uh, Maniac of New York is a an allegory towards modern COVID society. And they were trying to tell me that it's not. I'm like, but it, fine. What do you think about that? Are, it is. I mean, it's, it's definitely a commentary on COVID society, isn't it? About how it all shocked everyone and we've all just sort of like accepted it now to some degree. I think you can. I think it's actually, it's an allegory for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think the Elliot Kill has been pretty, pretty outspoken about his uh, stance on the dangers of capitalism. So I think if you wanted to interpret that as well, yeah. you probably could. It's honestly, I think it's a, it's, kind of whatever you make it to be, right? Uh, obviously, and I think that's probably the case for a lot of horror films and things like that. Especially. The holder share, um, sure. Yeah, exactly. But I think this one in particular is just one of those things. It's anything horrific that causes a shock to the system that eventually just becomes part of life. Yeah. And I think absolutely for a lot of folks, that that was 100% was COVID. Um, but, you know, for other people, it could be something very different. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's an allegory for, for all. So, Maniac Harry was someone who was uh, definitely in consideration for my favorite lead villain, uh, but I ended up going with the Bandaged Man from Wind. That's Boom Studios. Wind has been near or at the top of my SSPS a couple of times. A hunter. His game is anyone who threatens to be different and free as he chases our titular hero Wind and his band of misfits from pipe down into the mythical forests. His appearance is very unsettling. Well, my favorite lead villain. Uh, winner, Blacktop Bill from Noctera. He's dark, literally, mysterious and deadly, and is somehow affiliated with those that caused the change to the world. Uh, and at this point, that's really about as much as we know about him. 
Uh, he appears to be the only one who's thriving in the new normal, and he has some shades of the Joker to him. Um, a blacktop Bill one-shot was just, well, or is about to be released that will give us some backstory. Um, but yeah, no, th this is the uh, the villain that has held my attention throughout most of the year and is pretty much, I don't want to say carried the series, but um, he is someone I'm definitely interested in. So Blacktop Bill, Noctera. Mark, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I'm going to ask Darren. I looked up some pictures of the bandaged man from Wind while you guys were talking. What about this do you find unsettling? I'm seeing a guy in bandages. I'm just curious. Uh, you got to read the story. If you just look at him, the way he moves, the way he appears, the way he looms over some of the characters. Um, he, it's he, more the mannerism. Yeah, it's... Uh, and when he actually tells some of the characters what he is going to do, um, you sort of—it's sort of like you—you you fill in some of the gaps there. Uh, I think. Um, I'm also going to say that um, if you've talked to me before, you know I'm not usually a fan of ultra stylized artwork or stylized artwork at all. But I'm, I'm digging what I'm seeing of this book. Wind. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I really like it. Sharp looking. Very good. All right, guys, moving on to the next category. And this is one of those moments where I'm going to take back. I'm going to recognize the depth and the temperature of the water, and I'm not going to dive in on this one. So I'm going to ask that Darren and Phil and Gary lead us through this next part. And this is our favorite supporting character. So not the lead hero, but the person who probably helps the lead hero out. So, Phil, why don't you get us started? Who's your favorite supporting character of 2021? Ooh, did I cheat a little bit. Uh, so this supporting character took a lead role in a comic uh, which is J. Jonah Jameson, uh, specifically the role that he took place in uh, Spider-Man Life Stories Annual. Um, I'm likely going to circle back to this a little bit later, so I will stick to that for now. But J. Jonah Jameson, who we can argue is a supporting character, right? Right. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. It's not the lead. Absolutely. Just wait. Darren? Oh, okay. I was like, how did you cheat? That. It's the very definition of supporting character. I guess more. He was, the, he was literally the main character of the comic that he was in. But oh, oh, oh I see, is... I see. Yeah, but I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, all right. Yeah, we have to edit that out now, Mark. Just we'll go back. Um, <laughs> Similar to Gary's. Well, I'll explain from the last episode. So. <laughs> Later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Years right. from years from now, when Next this year. podcast is over, people who actually listen are going to go back to that moment. Like, no, no, no. Gary still has to explain. Um, so they they can't be done I yet. Did. Um, my favorite supporting character is someone, uh, very much like Phil, you'll be familiar with. It's Harvey Dent in Batman 89 from DC. Sam Hamm, the scriptwriter for the original Burton Batman film in 1989, and Joe Quinones have brought Batman's, or Burton's Batman back to life with this limited series. Their Harvey Dent is given a lot more depth, and yes, it is the likeness of Billy D. Williams. So Lando Crow no, never mind. <laughs> Alright, so I guess I'm up. Uh, my favorite supporting character was Pam from The Scumbag. Um, after injecting himself with the super serum he was not supposed to get, Ernie Ray Clementine is given superpowers. Uh, in exchange for his cooperation, Ernie had a list of demands. Uh, amongst them, along with a suitcase full of drugs and a flying Trans Am, 
was a sex doll with AI. Uh, although she became something of an afterthought in later issues, her early attempt to become a plutonic companion to Ernie while turning down his advances was gold. So as soon as they introduced her, I'm like, okay, she's on this list for this category. It was brilliant. Pam from The Scumbag. Oh, Pam. <laughs> now I'm going to play the role of Mark and ask this question overall here for this one, guys, because those kind of feel like they're a little bit all over the place. So I like how Gary kind of explained his what makes a good supporting character for you guys. I think it's someone that when you think about the comic or the character that they come to mind along with them, not as an afterthought, but as someone who is somewhat essential to the overall arc. So even in my situation where I talked about Jay Jonah, like he's been a supporting character, not necessarily supporting Peter throughout the years, but is definitely a supporting character to the story. So that's the way I've always read it as, as a category. Usually to me, the supporting character is us as our entry into the story, how we would view um, the story. Cause you know, although we would like to make believe that we're Superman, we are not. So Jimmy Olsen exists, um, you know, and to some degree it's the sounding board for the main character to let us know what is going to happen for the story. Um, and that's, you know, the, the, what, that's what Harvey Dent did for us is it put, him in this weird Gotham realm with a Batman out there trying to navigate like how do I process now I'm in charge of all this stuff and I got a Batman and then there was these colorful villains and how do we do any of this stuff so he's figuring it all out as would we so it's you know in, in some respects maybe it's like a Greek chorus uh, like in Shakespeare uh, so that's kind of how I view a, a supporting character who who do I relate to in this story Literally, like with Superman, a lot of times Clark Kent is the supporting character. He is our window in. Oh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. And you're right. The uh, the best supporting characters are a surrogate for the audience for both plot exposition or for introduction. So good point. Uh, I was going to say, for, for, I guess in my mind, the supporting character is maybe not a plot device, but it's how the character is revealed to you. I mean, you're not going to learn personality and, you know, vulnerabilities just up against a villain. You know, th this is how you become emotionally connected to the character, you know, and, and this is the the method, I guess, in which, which they do it, whether it's revealing the character's humanity or, you know, a vice they have or, you know, some sort of flaw. That That's the method to get from point A to point B is their interaction with this other character who doesn't necessarily have to be there, but is there because, you know, it's important to reveal that part of the character to you. And that's the only way they can really do it. I really, really like that a lot. So it's like, yeah, if you just have the battle of good versus evil, the villain versus the, the good guy, even if they're an anti-hero, it really is just two dimensional. But when you provide that supporting character in there to kind of flesh out and prevent or provide that third dimension to the overall hero. It really does allow that story and kind of allows us to, to really kind of start to identify with both the hero and, and like Darren was saying, it does act as a bit of a proxy for the audience or the reader who's, who's consuming the material. That's excellent. I like the way you said it better. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. The next category is going to be our favorite story arc. So, Phil, go ahead and get kick us off again here. Yeah, this one really surprised me. It was the what if return to uh, comic books, which was Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow. Uh, Peter decides to keep the symbiote in this um, story. And the symbiote convinces him the best way to do his job and protect those that deserve protecting and to never have another situation like Uncle Ben is to actually kill all of his enemies. And it starts with the enemies slowly showing up dead, you know, like the vulture's dead and Green Goblin gets killed and this person gets killed. And then they finally start tying it together that it's Spider-Man doing it. And originally he doesn't really realize it's him doing it because it's more the symbiote. And then he leans into it a little and then he realizes that he's been murdering people. And it really messes with his psyche, which builds up to like the ultimate climax at the end. And man, was it way better than it should have been. Like, it was just such a cool retelling of that part of the hero's journey that he went through. Because there is an ongoing, like, mini-pop series of uh, Symbiote Spider-Man. And they're actually, like, fill-in stories of, like, what happened when he was wearing the the black suit. Um, but this was just, like, if he just leaned into it. Because, you know, it's it's it told him to do bad things when he had none and he just listens. So, like, if you want a cool, like, five-issue story arc of, like, a dark Spider-Man from this past year, like, this is it. Man, I wish I'd gone first. Um, okay, well, I'm going to follow that one up with uh, just saying, you know, I, I think I told you guys, I think, in several other podcasts, I finally started getting into the War of the Bounty Hunters for me. So I think my probably my favorite story arc is just going to be, you know, how does Han Solo get from being frozen in carbonite to Jabba's hut's uh, palace on Tatooine? And that's what I'm in the process of reading now. So I haven't quite finished it. So I'm cheating just a tad. And I apologize to the audience for not being fully uh, uh, prepared in that regard of being able to read that entire behemoth of a story arc. Uh, if I think I count correctly, we're talking about 30 something issues there <laughs> over the last handful of months. But nonetheless, that's going to be the one. And, and I think my favorite part about this aspect is the fact that this has now become Star Wars canon. So everything that we're in the process of reading is now actually part of the official Star Wars canon. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about our favorite writer, but I'm really happy with the way that they, they've uh, allowed some of the new authors to kind of have free reign over, over where we're going and, and allowing them a real nice voice with regards to telling both the Star Wars, the standard canon that we're familiar with, you know, with the, the Skywalker saga, and also expanding the universe, both uh, the times that predate this and the things that are happening alongside the saga that we've all experienced, but kind of in a separate part of the universe that isn't really necessarily uh, part of the main storyline. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the War of the Bounty Hunters, the arc for uh, the, well, that was it. That was a, it was a five-part series that also expanded into five other comics uh, as they did a multiple crossover event um, through the months of June and all the way up through November. So that'll be it. So that's my favorite story arc for the year. Darren. You know, it's funny. Uh, Marvel doesn't do events very often. Right, Phil? <laughs> I tell so I've never heard such a lie come out of your mouth, and I, you lie to me all the time. Now, here's the thing. I wow. was getting the Star Wars comics. I jumped off after uh, The Last Jedi for <laughs> reasons, um, and then I jumped back on when they were picking up Star Wars again at number one. 
telling the tales between Empire and uh, Jedi. And then when I heard Marvel uh, major crossover event after having listened to Phil, poor Phil, endure so many of these over the 10 years we've been doing this, I said, nope, I'm out, dropped them all. I am not going down that road. Phil did it for me. So, Phil, thank you for uh, giving me the uh, what I needed to know when to jump off. But I do hear that uh, it has been a pretty popular storyline and it's been, and there's been some payoff and it's pretty much what you would have expected to happen anyway. They didn't like, they didn't take a whole lot of leaps uh, in this one where, you know, they just, let's tell the story. We know how it happens. Let's get it out of the way. It's one of the few um, unmined areas of the Star Wars universe during that original trilogy era. Um, but mine... Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, before you get to that, Darren, now you said you you stopped the Star Wars thing after The Last Jedi, right? I That's stopped and then restarted. Okay, yeah. And, and you said that because it had set the bar so high that there was no way that they were ever going to clear that again. Because you love... Exactly. And, and you're on record uh, as, as saying how much you love The Last Jedi, right? That's like I, your Someone is on record. There is definitely a record of a, a claim that I said that. I am going to contend that those words did not come out of my mouth. In so far as the same way that Mark never said uh, he didn't like Mark Hamill, although Phil did, um, I did not. No, no, no. I, uh, if you try to pull this crap, you love the Last Jedi so much that it knocks every other Star Wars movie out of the bar. Why, Matt? Why did you have to do it? I, why? I think for Darren it goes uh, Attack of the Clones, yeah, uh, and then it's like right underneath that, but it's like one A and one B. It's right. like uh, Attack of the Clones and The Last Jedi. I think those are his favorite. Just, yeah. just awesome. I mean, yeah. I, I don't What's know. What's weird is Empire Strikes Back is his least favorite one out of all of them. I right? Thought that was I mean, critically acclaimed some of the best. Ones. I've never seen How, someone so gets, excited to see Hayden Christensen return in Obi Wan as Darren. Who freezes in carbon? Uh, explain this to me. That's not how. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> understand any of these things. Uh, so favorite story arc clearly um, Count Dooku. Uh, somehow captures the Jedi who fail to use the Force. Like, did they forget that they had the Force? And the extinction of the Jedi, which apparently happened, and no one knew. That's my favorite This story. is all uh, your fault, yeah. Matt, Matt. Like, you, you <laughs> oh, did we've this. we've broken him. I'm sorry, guys. All right. Darren, my, now, here, this actually worked out one. well, because I do feel as though Mark is gaining interest in, in one of these titles, and I have... What could be considered some spoilers, specifically since he just finished reading uh, the Once and Future King. So I'm if this if I if I if I trip over a few words here, it's because I'm probably excising a few things to not spoil it for Mark. Um, you want me to just take the headphones off? I'm good with that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to read it because too, I'm also so. this is also going to serve as a you know a, a further pushing you along the way. So my favorite storyline, and my, I, I think Matt, you'll probably agree this isn't that bad is Reality Splinters and Rose is Sir Gawain. Um, once in Future continues to mesmerize, now fully a team, Grand Duncan and Rose combat the rising appearances of mythological creatures, uh, characters as mythology and reality begin to merge as one. As Once in Future has progressed, King Arthur's power grows as do his forces while he continues to assemble, assemble his Knights of the Round Table. More creatures of legend found entry into contemporary Britain via Merlin's Conjuring. 
a couple of others. They're, they're, they're playing a little bit fast and loose. It's not... I think they're stepping out of the realm when you agree of just Arthurian legend. They're actually going with a lot of European legend too. I can think of two specific examples. Um, right. uh, the the Jabberwocking, the Gorgon have also emerged, but the Green Knight was harrowing. He was a little scary. Um, now, again, here again, I, I, revealing any further details enters into spoilerific territory, but will not disappoint for anyone who wishes to engage in this compelling horror retelling of Arthurian legend. Well, uh, sort of a loose tie-in. Uh, my favorite story arc uh, actually began in the uh, Black Knight King in Black one issue, and it carried over into the Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blade five-part series. Uh, Dane Whitman is in the bloodline of King Arthur and is the wielder of the Ebony Blade. It is revealed to Dane that as the Black Knight, he's a hero, but it hasn't always been that way and that the blade becomes stronger as his anger and depression increase. Uh, Dane discovers that it's his family's history of mental illness and depression that links the sword to them. And eventually his biggest regret ends up powering or fueling the thing that in the end saves him. Um, it's, it's a superhero story, but he is very, very, very human in it. Um, there, there's a, a lot of, um, soul searching and just like, it's like you, you feel bad for this guy. I mean, it, it's, it's as he just sits there and just lists off regret after regret. And it, it's, it's not, like I said, it's a superhero book because he has powers, but when you find out why he has powers, it's. Like I said, you, you, you feel bad for this guy, and it's, uh, it was a great read. So The Curse of the Ebony Blade was my favorite story arc for 2021. Okay, moving on to the next section. And again, this is an area that I don't feel particularly <laughs> equipped to kind of like weigh in on necessarily, especially when I hear Darren and, and Phil and Gary talk about the artists that they love uh, to watch, and, and especially some of the things that really impacted them. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and kick it off to you three to discuss who your favorite artist was for this particular year. What stuck out to you? What was an image that was really important to you? So who's your favorite artist, Phil? I have easily edited this like 16 times today. Um, so I've narrowed it down to three. Um, reshuffling, reshuffling. Okay, let's do uh, runners up. Uh, Jorge Corona for the Me You Love in the Dark. There's so much cool stuff going on in the background. Uh, Chris Bacalo for the work on Nonstop Spider-Man, which sadly was canceled. And to give him two years in a row, my number one is Marco Ticetto, who is doing the artwork on the absolutely fantastic Daredevil run that Chip Zdarsky is writing. Uh, just really good use of red and black that really accentuate like the the key aspects of Electra and daredevil and what's going on in hell's kitchen that just it, the book wouldn't work as well without it so um margaret Chaco's like work is just unbelievable and and just yeah like you need 
the new, if you have not seen the design of the electric daredevil costume you need to check it out it's very cool so uh yeah those are my three so again Jorge corona the me you love in the dark chris Bacolo for non-stop spider-man and marco Ticetto for daredevil all right, Darren. Going with Michael Dialnis for Wind. That is from Boom Studios. Uh, someone I am unfamiliar with, but just discovered her art. Yasmin Putri, art and color for Dark Knights of Steel, which is DC's merging of the Batman and Superman. Yep, that's it right there, Gary. The Batman uh, Superman mythologies and setting it in medieval times. Um, and. I got a repeater here. Last year I went with Dan Mora from Once in Future, and here he is again. He was an honorable mention for Claws in 2016, again for Claws and The Witch of Winter in 2017. He took all my top spot for Once in Future last year and takes it here again in 2021 as he continued his impressive work illustrating Arthurian legend violently bursting its way into modern Britain. Very nice. Well, my top three of my favorite artists for 2021. Uh, number three, Augustin Padilla for his work on IDW's King Grimlock series. Um, second runner-up, uh, Drew Zucker for his work on Canto 3, Lionhearted by Image. And my winner for favorite artist of 2021 is David Tinto for his work on Commanders in Crisis. Uh, much like Darren is described once in future, it feels like a combination of a few things. Um, I threatened to drop this title several times, and yet I hung on to it, probably for the depiction of Frontier, the uh, not-hard-to-look-at redhead leader of the squad. Uh, the other two artists, while I still wish that I could draw like them, they had some holes, you know, much like Rob Liefeld and Feet, you know. <laughs> um, but this is just a, a visually pleasing book. David Tinto for Commanders in Crisis is my favorite artist of 2021. Or Rob Liefeld in Human Anatomy in general. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You loved Captain America with that huge... Yeah. Box. Tracks of land. <laughs> Speaking of which, I really didn't hear any mention of any boob windows in any of those uh, reports, so I'm a little disappointed <laughs> that we can get more of those. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I think well, Battle Chasers is on its way it. back. You'll get plenty of that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, you can hope. I mean, Joe's not doing the art, so is we'll it see going how to be it, the uh, woke version of Battle Chasers art? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, not. It's. I mean, it was great without that, but you know, that was like the dental plan. You know, great job, <laughs> good benefits. And there's a dental plan, you know, it's, oh my God. just added something to it. This is the worst analogy what? to boobs I've ever heard in my life. Boobs are a dental plan. Oh, no, 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 not boobs. Bo boobs in the, that particular comic. That's that is one hell of a dental plan. plan. Okay. It is. Wow. I think this is a perfectly natural segue into the next area that we're going to discuss, which is the favorite writer. All right, of course. Bill, yeah. Go ahead and get. Wow, well, there was no way I was going to salvage that. So, guys, I just decided to go right into it. So, Phil, tell us who your favorite writer is, and include a couple of honorable mentions while you're at it. 
if we can pick up the pieces. Unbelievable mess. Unmitigated mess. Cannot help it. Okay. Uh, it was my fault, admittedly. I think I started that mess. I apologize. Sure. No, I always blame you. All <laughs> right. Uh, so, runners up, Scotty Young for the Me, Love in the Dark, which I mentioned a few times in Strange Academy. Uh, Chip Zdarsky got bumped down uh, for his work on the Spider-Man Life Story Annual and Daredevil. And my favorite writer is Rick Remender for The Scumbag, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, uh, Deadly Class, Seven to Eternity. I can keep going on and on and on and on. He writes a lot and I love it all. Uh, Rick Remender has fallen on my favorite writer quite a few times at these end of the year awards for previous things like Black Science and Deadly Class as mentioned. Um, which is going to end next year. So get ready for that to be a rest in peace. Uh, so yeah, Rick Remender is my favorite writer this year. All right. I only have a couple to discuss this year and it's really no surprise because I've already mentioned them a couple of times. I'm going to go ahead and go with my boy, Elliot Kalin for his work on Maniac New York from Aftershock. And then the other one is going to be actually, I read him in a couple of different formats. So he helped get the War of the Bounty Hunters off, the, uh, off to a nice start there. Uh, and, but he also wrote Light of the Jedi, and that's going to be our friend Charles Soule, or Soule. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, but I believe, I believe it's Soule uh, with an E on the end of it to make it look fancy. Um, but no, he's obviously had a hand in the, uh, the reimagining and kind of the expansion of the Star Wars universe as we know it currently. So he's going to have to take the cake for the best writer of the year for me, at least in terms of prolific uh, uh, ability. So he's going to be my dude. All right, Darren. Did you ever get a chance to read the Lando miniseries he wrote? Oh, that's great. Do you remember that, Phil? The Lando miniseries may be the highlight of the Marvel Star Wars comics. Way better than it should have been. Yeah. That thing was awesome. The, the reveal in that was horrifying. And it, and the fact that Lando was the center of it, you're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> he is so screwed. Um, so my favorite, uh, my runner-up for favorite writers is James Tinian IV for Wind. That's Boom Studios. I know you're very familiar with him, Phil. Um Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly for Star Trek Year 5. That's IDW. And my favorite writer again, here we go, Karen Gillen, Once and Future for Boom Studios with the introduction of the other world, a sort of cross-dimensional realm. Feels a bit like the Upside Down, and it's forcing its way into modern contemporary Britain. Redundant, sorry. Uh, Gillen has given Once and Future the legs needed to carry the story forward for the foreseeable future. My favorite writer nominations. Uh, number three, Colin Bunn for his work on Lucky Devil. Uh, number two, second runner-up, Marjorie Liu for her work on Monstrous. That is still a thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And the winner for my favorite writer of 2021 is some hack named Simon Spurrier. Oh, Spurrier's so good. Oh. Uh, for his work on Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade. Um Someone needs to go do a well check on Simon Spurrier. Um, I don't know if it's possible to write about depression, regret, and despair that that accurately without experiencing it firsthand. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with Dane Whitman prior to this, so maybe this concept has always been known. But to take someone who is battling with their mental health, who is using the good that they do to help them get by day to day, and then to find out that the good they do is powered by the bad they feel. 
that feeling better about yourself lessens your effectiveness as a hero that they're trying to be mm. masterfully told. Great job, Simon. Gary. Hope, hope you're I, doing well, dude. He's fine. He just finished writing Way of X, uh, X-Men book. You, <laughs> uh, I, when if I ever see you in person again, I need to hand you um, X-Men Legacy, which was written by him, where he okay. took the helm of David Holler, better known as Legion. Uh, oh, okay. Schizophrenic mutant. It's a great ride. He's a fantastic writer, man. He yeah. again another one that I have on my list. He's he's so good. Well, he was also the author of a two-time title of the year for me, The Power of the Dark Crystal, which is he's the direct sequel good. to The Dark Crystal. Spurry is awesome. Mm-hmm. Great pick, Gary. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, I, he he kind of, you know, it was it was really up it was really him, not so much me, you know. All right. I just let the boat work. That's my secret. Uh, my attorney has advised me not to answer any more questions on the grounds that they may serve to implicate me further. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jeez. Everything is so All litigious right. these days. We can't even have finish a <laughs> podcast without getting lawyered up. Awesome. So in the so next as Gary mentioned here, dental gonna... plan, the lawyers came and running. <laughs> In the next category, guys, we're going to go ahead and start looking at our favorite single issues. I'm going to again turn it over to the uh, triumvirate here to answer their favorite single issues. They're going to go through a couple of honorable mentions and then land on their favorite issue of the year. So go ahead and get the ball rolling, Phil. Yeah, so I cheated on my first runner-up, which is Stray Dogs. Uh, I got it as a trade paperback. Murder, murder story through the eyes of a, a bunch of dogs. It was, it was, it's really good. They're going to do more of it. Um, my second is the Me You Love in the Dark number four, which is where you get the plot twist. Uh, it did not go in the direction that Gary and I had discussed, and this is when the the tick happens. Boy, man, yeah. There's a reason it keeps almost making it for me. But my favorite issue of the year was a surprise that came out of nowhere that just appeared in my 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 poll list, which was the Spider-Man Life Story Annual, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mark Bagley. A um, couple years back, I, I talked about how much I loved Spider-Man Life Story. It was the progression of Spider-Man like through the decades. It started in the 70s, 60s, one, one of those. And it was okay. 10 years, each one. And it was like where he was, and he actually aged the the correct time. It was this great story, but the annual was through the eyes of J. Jonah Jameson and how he slowly starts losing his mind about Spider-Man and the things that he does to try to stop that accursed web slinger. And then he realizes that he's projecting himself and his own shortcomings onto him. And that he actually looks back on his life and sees that he runs all the people he loves out of his life because he becomes obsessed. And that he's the one that actually tries to kill this guy. And that there's no reason for him to do it. And he keeps asking like Peter Parker all this advice. And it's just this like unbelievably brilliantly written annual. And just it was it's so cool whenever you can see J. Jonah Jameson like in that that thought process of like him actually looking at himself as a failure because he always thinks so highly of himself in the comics. Like he's so loud and 
and I'm the best. I'm J. Jonah Jameson. I made the Daily Bugle, and this is just him like, I messed up. My whole life was a waste, and I destroyed everything because of this guy who's just trying to help everybody. And it is powerful and good and well worth anybody reading. So is so is Spider-Man Life Story. But this annual is just icing on the cake of something that was already fantastic. So very, very solid issue if you've ever had any feelings about Jay. Matt, you have nothing, okay. right? So Darren. Darren. Uh, so my honorable mentions for favorite single issue, Canto 2, The Hollow Men, number one, from IDW. Dark Knights of Steel, number one, from DC. And my favorite issue uh, is going to Batman 89, number two, from DC. After issue one's reestablishment of Michael Keaton's Batman, issue two delivers a, the depth of the story. With a dynamic Harvey Dent, guilt-ridden Bruce Wayne, and a moment that Burton-esque fans have been waiting for since 1992. Now, given that this is Batman 89, I was somewhat confused in how this would fit into the timeline of the Batman movies circa 89 to 97. Admittedly, I did not read too much about the series prior to its release for reasons Phil has detailed on this podcast before, solicitations for upcoming comics often revealing too many story elements. So I was avoiding it. I really it's almost like you shouldn't watch trailers in movies either. I don't know, that's kind of a weird concept to me. Yeah, um, people people, you know. I really wanted to go into this knowing as little as possible, but given what I did see, I felt DC was trying to be ambiguous about the actual timeline ahead of the series release. My thought was, given the title Batman 89, it would be a sequel to the first Batman, uh, Burton Keaton Batman. The fallout of the Joker's death, the exploring of the relationship between Bruce Wayne and Vicki Vale. Yet, the events in issue 2 clearly place this as a sequel to 1992's Batman Returns. But the message is clear. This is Keaton's Batman more than it is Burton's. Either way, toss out 1995's Batman Forever and 1997's Batman and Robin, which I think oh. we're all happy to do, right? Though, I'll say this, count me in among those who would be on board for the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. Um, Batman 89 materialized in my imagination while reading the first three issues as a movie, and by the close of issue two, heading into issue three, it really starts to feel like a faithful cinematic sequel to Batman Returns. By contrast, I felt that going in that the creative team behind Batman 89 had a much tougher task uh, developing that than those for Superman 78, given the specific look and feel that artist Anton First and Burton developed for Batman and Batman Returns. And I'm going to make an off-the-wall prediction here. I think Tim Burton and Michael Keaton are going to make a third Batman movie. Um... There seems to be an enduring fondness for specifically for that first Batman movie in 1989. It's been out for what 35 years now, 34 years now, and it's come up on this podcast not because we wanted to talk about it, because there was something to talk about. Something reemerged and now, of course, next year we're going to get Michael Keaton as Batman again. There is something out there about this that endures more 
like as good as the Nolan series was, is when it ended, it was over, right? And I think because I, I think that there is still a lot of unfinished business with Tim Burton and Michael Keaton's Batman run. I think that's probably the main reason why it sticks around is because it wasn't finished. They both left after the second movie. Um, and by the way, when it debuted in August, uh, this past August, Batman 89 outsold all but one comic that month, and that was King Spawn number two. Um, I would like to believe that was actually King Prawn, and it was about Pepe from the Muppets, but it was actually uh, about Spawn. Um, but can, can think about that, though. That was the number two book in total units sold in August, Batman 89. And it's been in the top 20 ever since. Um, so I have to say, it, it feels right. I do like it. The likenesses, they're, they're a bit cartoonish, almost Disney-esque to some degree, but I, I kind of dig it. It's, it's, and it was, it's exactly what I was hoping for with Batman 89. Wow. Okay. Well, my favorite single issue, uh, Ken, is uh, number three, uh, Noctera number one. Um, you are adrift, bleeding and hungry in the ocean on a piece of wreckage. If nothing changes, just being there could kill you in several ways. Here comes a shark. Number two, uh, second runner-up, Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number five. Uh, the more you hurt, the stronger you get, and you need to be really, really strong. Uh, Dane taps into his deepest regrets as he welcomes the end in order to save us all. And the winner of my favorite issue of 2021, The Scumbag, number nine. Ernie travels back in time to warn himself of future events and recruits a team of deplorables, the, rep the reprobates, uh, starting with Spanish Larry, the Brown Lantern, the poorly aging hardcore cokehead, the self-flatulator, <laughs> Paint Huffer, Matt. the ultra-humanoid, and Cornelius and Susan, whose full names I'm intentionally and unfortunately leaving out. Uh, much in the spirit of Section 8, do these superheroes actually do anything super? Scumbag number 9. Winner of my single issue, favorite single issue of 2021. I will get it out eventually. I was so going to call that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Oh, I, I, I love those, you know, Tick-esque, you know, recruit, you know, just, just the introduction of this team of, you know, alleged heroes. You know, do they really have superpowers? Yeah, it's, it's great. Great stuff. I'm a sucker for that all the time. Such a mess. Do they really have superpowers? So like a mystery men kind of thing? <laughs> yes, that's actually a, a great comparison. Yeah. Um, what? What did the? How did the ultra uh, humanoid phrase it? Unle unless syph syphilis is a superpower, or something like that. Right. <laughs> and that book is so hard to explain to somebody. Oh. I, yeah. It's um. No. Yeah. It, it, it's it's my first exposure to Remender, so I don't know if all of his stuff is like that. Not that crazy. But, no. 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 Fantastic. Ooh. 
All right, uh, Darren, I, I got a couple questions for you before we get into our, our final category, if you don't mind me asking. Fire away, my man. All right, I, I noticed you've got Canto uh, on a couple of your categories. Um, I considered it also, but I guess for me, the, the first the first run like burned so brightly and so intensely that I don't know. I just kind of felt, felt like it took a step down afterwards. Are, are you getting that or are you just, you still just as hooked? I, you know, I, I did have that, but I, I always, you know, reading comics for as long as I have, I, I, when I really get into something, I expect that I had it with once in future. It's, it's, it's come down, but it was so high to begin with um, that. I'm just happy. It's there. It's just, it's, it feels like something I need. It's, there's, it doesn't ask a lot of you. It's just enjoyable. It's a fun read. It's a it's a character you just can't help but root for. Um, it's it. You've nailed it before I even read it. Where you said that this thing's been optioned for a movie and it needs to be done by the Jim Henson company. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, I'm I'm in. I'm in. So it kind of gives me a little bit of a feeling like this is something that could have existed when I was a kid. And if it did, I would be talking about it as fondly today as I was the as I do the Dark Crystal or um, Labyrinth or things like that. Okay, and, and since I, ha I have to wonder if because oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just gonna say, and since you turned a lot of us on to it, I just thought it was one of those things. Like, and I think you even explained it to us beforehand, where you just said it's not groundbreaking. It's not like some earth shattering, you know, mind, you know, altering twist or anything like that. It's a very, very simple story, but it just has heart. Like, it, it matters. The characters matter. They're, yes. they're sweet. And it shows you, like, you know, to, to anybody that's interested in writing a story or think they've got a story to tell, like, don't... Sometimes the, the details will flesh themselves out. If you just create a character that, that you care about, you know what I mean? Like, that you can definitely just see. I think that matters so much, and it's so simple. And, and like you said, you know, I just think it's one of those things that we could have easily seen and, and absolutely become infatuated with in our youth and kind of taps into that kind of simplicity. And But it's just really, really well done. And, and yeah, it just like I said, it just it had a ton of heart to it, which mm -hmm. really didn't matter. I agree. Yeah, I agree also. So I just have to wonder if, you know, maybe it's because I, I read the first run all at once. I, I think one of the issues I'm having with, with the later editions is that each individual one just feels like it ends too quickly. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I hope it has a long life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm still thoroughly enjoying it. It just, like I said, when I was considering these, you know, against other things, that just kind of bothered me. It's like, okay, either these issues need to have more in them, or they just have to be longer, or, or something. I, I just, it just felt like as soon as you started, it was over. So... But, you know, my preference, I guess. Still a great series. Not going to take it that away from it. Mm. No no turtles this year. Phil? We, we, still, we still have time. Oh, good point, good point. Yeah. All right. You got to rescue well Gary, Matt. <laughs> we might as well jump right into it. We've already previewed it a little bit here. We're going to get to the... the the raison d'etre, and I know I'm butchering that. I don't speak French, so it doesn't really matter. But the most important thing, the reason for this particular episode is to come down 
to the favorite title, and that's our favorite titles, the honorable mentions that we have. And then, of course, the pick of the year. Fantastic. All right, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and actually bypass the honorable mentions piece because, as I've pointed out before, I don't really have a, a ton of experience in these. You know, I've read a handful of titles this year and, and certainly went back and reread some things that you guys have mentioned before and got caught up on some things and was really enjoying comic books. But I think what I did is I got back into the comics that I had enjoyed when I was growing up um, a little bit before I got into anything that was going on this year. But um, so I'm going to skip just to the pick of the year when it becomes my turn. So actually, I'm going to turn it back over to Phil, or, uh, Phil, Darren, and Gary for this one. What were your favorite honorable mention titles for this particular year, Phil? Uh, so uh, again, recency bias. The Me You Love in the Dark just surprised me. I just it, there's something special about the book. Pick it up; it's different. Um, and Gary decided to jump the gun a little bit, but uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles endlessly uh man it's again i say it every year it's way better than it needs to be like it's such a great great run um if you ever have had any love for um those bodacious cowabunga filled teenagers uh definitely pick it up the idw run it's it's great it's like 120 some issues in it's it's going darren Runner-up a year ago is a repeater here again, Star Trek Year 5. It deserves to be among the best comic, Star Trek comic series. It's such a surprise. Uh, and number two, is, uh, honorable mention, is Canto. Like I said, Gary, great job on this one. All credit to you. It's it's the most enjoyable modern fairy tales. A very Jim Henson feel to it. All right. <clears throat> well, my... Uh... Two runner, runners up for favorite title of the year. Uh, number three, Noctera, Image Comics. Um, I went back and listened to uh, our SSPSs for the year, and this title, more often than not, was my pick. Um, I looked forward to this book every month. It was a good original story with good characters and a great villain that kept me engaged, even after I was done with the issue. It didn't end in five issues either, which helped with its selection. Um, number two, my second runner-up, Monstrous by Image Comics. Um, even before this book went on hiatus, I was putting this aside until I got caught up on, on backstory. So aside from two issues of talk stories, I haven't read New Monstrous all year. But even with that, the residual carryover from the last new issue I did read, coupled with my reading of the compiled editions to catch up, is more than enough to keep this book at the top of my list. The only reason this title didn't take the number one spot is because I'm creating criteria just so it doesn't. Uh, the awards are there for a reason. Those are my All two right. runners up. All right, yeah. fantastic. And that, this gets us to the most important thing of the evening, guys. The, the reason we all exist... Uh, Let's just get to it. What's our pick of the year, guys? I'm going to go ahead and get us started off, and I'm going to explain some of my rationale behind why I think it's my pick of the year. Uh, a, it's easy to finish because it's only five issues long. Uh, it's got a tongue-in-cheek nature to it that I always I extremely appreciated. Uh, I really just enjoyed it. And as Darren kind of pointed out before, it kind of fits 
whatever you feel like it needs to fit for you. So it can be an allegory for anything. And I'm basically just going to go with one of the few comics I was able to start and finish this year. And that's going to be uh, Maniac of New York. So Maniac of New York is going to be my pick of the year for 2021. Bill. I got myself a repeater this year. My pick of the year, just like last year is Chip Zdarsky's run on Daredevil. Uh, we got a little bit of a deeper dive into Matt Murdock this year. He decided to allow himself to be arrested and put into jail as Daredevil um, while he let his twin brother pretend to be Matt Murdock on the outside and Electro, trying to prove herself to him, uh, picked up the mantle of Daredevil and decided to follow the rules of Daredevil so she would not kill Uh Man, is it a good run. Wilson Fisk is still the mayor of New York, which is all riddled with, like, craziness. Um, he married Typhoid Mary during it. It's been... Wow. Just, yeah, it's getting out of control. And it's leading to this big explosion in New York that is pushing into 2022, which is Devil's Reign, uh, a little more Electro, a little more Matt. It looks like Zdarsky's not going anywhere, which makes me super happy. Uh, so I think Daredevil's going to be one of those books. I mean, obviously it nudged Spider-Man. Like, I'm not talking Spider-Man this year. It's it's just too good. It's like the perfect level of dark and gritty that I need when I'm reading comics now. Um Pick it up. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't praise it enough last year. It, it, the praise continues. That means over a year of consistent good Daredevil comics. That's unheard of. So, pick of the year, Daredevil. All right, my pick of the year. Now, I'll, I'd like to provide some context for, especially for Mark to, and maybe uh, for Matt to catch up here. Uh, this is our ninth, and so I'm going to run through the ones that have won for me previously. 2013, our first year, was Finding Gossamer, uh, which is still one of the sad losses I've had. That was from Third World Studios. 2014, The Mercenary Sea from Image. Matt, you would love this book. I'll tell you about it sometime. 2015, Nailbiter from Image. 2016, Velvet from Image. You would love that, Mark. Um 2017 and 2018, it was The Power of the Dark Crystal from Boom Studios. 2019, it was The Lone Ranger from Dynamite. Last year, it was Once in Future from Boom Studios. And this year, it is Once and Future again. Arthurian Legend retold as an ongoing horror series. Sometimes a single sentence is enough to ignite my excitement. This could have been a TV series, a movie, a novel, a video game, and if that tagline was attached, will count me in. It all began with a single misread, actual prophesized statement. I paraphrase as the old comic did from Old English, Arthur will return for England's darkest hour. Scholars over the centuries since that epitaph was etched in stone elevated Arthur as a savior. But a small number know the real truth. Bridget McGuire, better known as Gran, was indoctrinated from birth as a family rite of passage to carry the burden, knowing that Arthur will be England's darkest hour. The harbingers of the terror that Arthur's return will cast are already roaming the English countryside, 
when this series began. So much of this comic reminds me of the tone set by the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series with Gran, a 78-year-old grandmother, occupying the Ash role as a more competent, methodical main protagonist, so much so that she was my favorite lead hero last year and Matt's this year. Her increasingly capable grandson, Duncan, and an emerging mage, Rose, fill out the roster of her sidekicks. Hopping from burrow to burrow, tackling one mythological horror after another, all the while the resurrected skeletal zombie-like King Arthur looms in the distance growing stronger. The cast of characters it gets bigger and wider with each issue. The artwork is stunning. This thing has captured my imagination uh, just as much as any of my previous winners have. And I'm glad this thing has the legs it has. It is just a joy to read. Can't really say I'm surprised to hear that. All right. My pick of the year. And as Phil said, you can't really describe this to anybody. Uh, my pick of the year winner is The Scumbag by Image Comics. Uh, thanks to my Winston Cup method of scoring, uh, this title takes home my pick of the year. Seemingly finishing a very close second in every SSPS since it debuted, but due to some anomaly from another title, it didn't take home the, the monthly pick. While other books I was reading were shaking their finger at me for eating meat or belittling me for my assumed intolerance of others, uh, taking me deep into a depressive mind or a fight for survival by an enslaved species, this book was just fun. It's my first exposure to Remender, so maybe, like I said, all of this stuff was like this. But where else could I see a man shooting up on a crowded sidewalk to the disgust of mothers with their young children while simultaneously defecating? Parma. The book showcases that no matter who you are, there's going to be somebody that thinks you're living wrong. So stop judging others, just be happy with who you are, be yourself, and stop trying to make everyone think and be like you. You know, that makes me think of when I worked at Target in Cincinnati and we found a cup from the food court that somebody had placed in a shopping cart and taken a crap in and left in the parking lot at the Cartwell. Just thanks, Gary. Appreciate that. Memory. Not only not only is that funny, but I was actually trying to think of throwing a little zinger in there, but like you know, where else can you find this? And Cincinnati was actually one of the cities I'd thought of because I have an ex that lives there. But uh, Pittsburgh was also a consideration. Go Browns. Um, but yeah, no, that that's uh, I would have just been poking fun, but apparently that actually happens there. Oh, All right. Well, to be fair, I lived in Cincinnati for 10 years. It's a really nice town. That was a weird <laughs> thing. <Okay. laughs> I mean, the Hall of Justice is in Cincinnati. Let's remember It that. is indeed. This is true. And so was all Kenner. Right. Kenner Toys was headquartered there, too. Yes, not, they were. All, not all bad down there. Okay, so we have a repeat Daredevil. A repeat once in future. Re really no surprise. Um, Maniac of New York. You said no. that was just a five-parter, right? There's another that particular part version of the story is they're going to expand it a little bit further. Uh, he's going to go into some of the other boroughs, but the main storyline that they just started with is only five. I have a question, man, about that. What do you yep. think of how they left it off with a little tease to something a little bit more? Um, I mean, I, I haven't read anything since then, but it's. 
I was kind of disappointed. They like maybe it's some sort of amulet or some sort of MacGuffin that's giving him some sort of power. And I don't know how I felt about that. I I, I like the randomness of it. And now I feel like it might go in a, di- a direction that kind of feels like when Jason in Friday the 13th and when they were trying to explain Michael Myers to like what they gave him that, like that secret society stuff that they invent up like dumping. No, I think, I, I think the horror of the character enough is, or is enough rather alone. I don't think you need to come up with some supernatural way to try to explain where they're getting their power from. I think that in all honesty, just allow them to be a menace. I think that's, that's well, that's clearly they were implying that's common though. Right. Yeah. That could be. I don't know. That's why I have to go back and look at it again. They were in the the museum scene, where they showed the symbol. Of the kid didn't. You, there was kids in a museum, and they you didn't see that. Oh, I don't think I. No, I don't remember. It's been a minute. I oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, all right. So, Mark, uh, what do you think? Anything interesting here that might draw you back? Well, uh, funny you should ask, Darren, because uh, while you guys were going through the last couple of segments, I've been online shopping, and I bought uh, Curse of the Ebony Blade and the first book of Once in Future. <laughs> I win. No. You win. That's right. Well, I'm sure I do. Um, and then because it was cheap, looked interesting, it was from James Tyne, and I bought Something is Killing the Children. So, Oh, it's so good. It looked cool. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, I saw that too, but I, I was it was too far in by the time I noticed it. And I, I don't know. I, like the digital file on Amazon was like a buck ninety nine. Oh, for like the whole thing. I'm like okay. Yeah, <laughs> mm. uh, there's the sequel. The sequel's out now. Uh, House of Slaughter. Okay, keep that in mind too. It's a spinoff from that. So I'm back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, check out Daredevil. Point too. So I just, I, as you guys were talking, I just wrote a list of all the things that I realized that I'm going to have to read because, and they pretty much go along with everything you guys recommended for your picks of the year. But I, I clearly have to read the Me, You, Love in the Dark, right, yeah. fellas? That's, that's going to be it. That's that's okay. a no brainer. Yeah, yeah that's that's a six or seven part. You said you said it would be five, five issues. Five. Oh, okay. All right, and that's and then Scumbag, of course. How many issues is that again? We're uh, at some, 13, 12, 12, 13. 13. Okay. All right, and then Wind from Darren? Yeah. With the wine. Keeper. That one's been around for a couple years, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it comes out periodically, though. They're usually larger, so I think we're at like six oh. or seven. No, oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Hey, Mark, did you ever pick up uh, Transformers 84? No, I didn't. I, mean, I keep meaning to get back to that. I think now that I have a new uh, laptop tablet to use to you know read comics on i'm probably going to get a little more into it because it's a little more convenient okay yeah that, w- that was my, my pick last year and i honestly thought it was going to be a ongoing thing but it ended after five which i think it kind of had to yeah but, I, think um, I, I still have the last two um legacy transformers volumes to read back from g1 oh, and so okay. i'm probably not gonna touch anything transformers until i'm done with those i mean we're getting into action masters and all that stupid crap now <laughs> but i'm gonna bear with it because they were on sale for black friday for like a buck 99 each so well, I mean, if, if that series is still fresh in your head that's probably actually a good time to uh yeah to snag that because like i said it fills in some holes okay cool so yeah that's it's definitely on my radar though to pick up at some point 
Okay, I knew you were waiting for the trades. I just didn't know if you ever got around to that. Yeah, I was, I'll take a look at that one. I'm probably more into doing individual issues now that I can do them digitally. Okay. I was waiting yeah, for the like trade like because I was ordering stuff. physical stuff, which I just, did just order physical trades because they were actually cheaper than the digital files, hmm. weirdly. <laughs> well, definitely happens. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those sounded great. Um, Wind looked really interesting. I'd love to check that one out. Um, Phil's comments, comments on Daredevil and Spider-Man both made me want to start reading some of those. War of the Bounty Hunter sounds fun, but like way more issues than I want to commit to. So, <laughs> Yeah, I got in on the ground floor, which made that a lot easier to consume. But it, it's just it's a behemoth. Right. So, yeah. All right, Phil. Why don't you uh, wrap this up and tell us a little bit more? I know next month's episode is going to include uh, Gary going a little bit further into detail about his dental plan. Right. Uh, but beyond that, why don't we go ahead and, and go ahead and preview what we're going to be doing? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, just a quick recap. Uh, the picks of the year again were from Matt Maniac of New York, Darren Once in Future, Gary the Scumbag, and uh, mine was Daredevil for two years. Hey, wait, what was my book, though? What? Huh? Oh, because you're the scumbag? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Gary, Masters the of the Universe yeah. Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right masters of the universe the scumbag um so uh, michael next, bay's uh, transformers a complete visual history ooh. oh so that's transformers the scumbag yeah right right right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the circle of life is complete i am broken we've all made fun of tonight so that's good um so next um next month and uh something we do yearly is our annual What You Looking Forward to episode where we talk about all the cool stuff that we know so far that's coming in 2022, things we hope are coming, and the things that get us all excited and nerdy about uh, the stuff that we love to talk about. Uh, and we have a bright year ahead of us of all five of us coming back and kicking up the dust a little bit and talking comics. It's always fun. And it sounds like we've almost convinced all five people to start reading comics again, which is a win in my book. Uh, so from all of us here at the panel scanners, have a very happy new year. Hope you get a lot of nerdy stuff for the holidays and until 2022, enjoy your comics.